0: Well, good morning, Ebenezer family and all our online friends. Last week, I kicked off a new sermon series we're calling Shift. And this series is going to be an open and honest conversation about a few of the challenges the pandemic has exposed in the church and the necessary shifts we need to make to move forward. Now, to help it feel a bit more like a conversation, I've invited Pastor Kelly to join me online today. And we're going to co-teach. Now, let me begin with a quick review to bring us all up to speed. Uh, The COVID pandemic. Uh, has impacted all of us greatly, including the church. It has forced churches across Canada to reimagine, to, to rethink, to reset what and how they do ministry, which has been a good thing, but it's also been a very challenging time for churches. Now, as I described last week, COVID has been like an outgoing tide, which has laid bare the ocean floor. And some of what we see sitting on the bottom is not pretty. But the reality is, is that most of the issues that have been exposed are pre-existing conditions. They've been hidden by the busyness of our lives and many church activities and programs that we have. Now here are a few of the the things that COVID's revealed. It's revealed how reliant our relationships have been on our regular patterns of meeting together through our weekend services and weekday programs. And so we've been forced to rethink relationships and rethink our connections. Uh, Second, it's revealed weaknesses and gaps in in connection and care. You know, most of us haven't been in in an in-person gathering for almost a year, and of course people are feeling more isolated than ever, including those of us who are pastors and and feeling like we've lost touch with our congregations. The third thing it's exposed is these um, deep divisions in our culture, but also within our church community and culture. Things on theology and politics and end times and even how we understand COVID. Now, as I said, most of these challenges that have come up have already existed, always existed. They they were just hidden from sight. But the pandemic has just brought them to the surface more quickly and has given us the opportunity to address them directly. Let me illustrate this just another way. Uh, As most of you know, uh, Ebenezer completed a building expansion project during the pandemic. And at the end of the project, the contractor and a few of the subtrades and a few of our staff walked through the entire building to identify what they called deficiencies in the building process. And if we noticed something, we'd mark it with a green piece of tape to remind the contractor that something was forgotten or needed to be repaired. But as you probably know, um, new buildings in Saskatchewan shift and settle over time. And because of this understanding, construction companies have given us uh, a warranty so that if any shifting issues or other problems happen, we can alert the contractor so they can come and re- repair those things. Well, there, there have been a few things. Uh, cracked tile in a new stairway landing, uh, cracked rock all along our new chapel wall. Uh, those problems are, are, are expected and they're actually easy to fix. However, the other day we had a bigger surprise. One of our main fire suppression sprinkler lines burst in our new hallway. Now thankfully Chris Reed was in the building and so he was able to shut off the, the water without too much damage. But, the, but this was totally unexpected for us and, and it shouldn't have happened. And so upon further investigation we realized that the pipe bursting was not the main problem. It was just a symptom to a bigger problem. In this case the bigger problem was a frozen line due to a heating issue in our new mechanical room. So repairing the broken line alone would not have solved the real problem. Now, in the construction world, deficiencies are expected. You know, Both contractors and owners expect that there are going to be a few deficiencies, little things that they've overlooked during the building process. And they expect that deficiencies will appear as the building settles. And the solution is simple. You just identify the deficiency, and then you fix it. Now, similar to a construction project like ours, our lives and our families and our church family is, is um, are things under construction, and from time to time, a deficiency is going to appear, most often when, when uh, those, those people or those uh, units are under pressure, like during times of COVID pandemic. And just like a construction project, the solution is to identify and then fix the deficiency. This is not unique to us, or this time, it's common. And last week, we looked at a few passages in the Scriptures where people complained and grumbled about the circumstances they found themselves in, or deficiencies in their groupings. In the Old Testament, we had the story of Moses and the people of Israel in the desert, and their system deficiency that pointed out, was pointed out to Moses by his father-in-law Jethro. In the New Testament, we have the story of the early church and the growing pains that they had to address. We looked at one last week in Acts chapter 6, how they learned how, how to deal with this internal problem of resolving tension, tensions over food distribution to widows, but it didn't stop there. If we were to continue to read through the book of Acts, we'd see in Acts chapter 9, they had to adjust their attitudes and practices so that non-Jews could hear the good news of Jesus and be part of the kingdom, not just Jewish people. In Acts chapter 15, they had to address some new problems that emerged from their cross-cultural missions, though those things were ongoing. And this rhythm of identifying and fixing deficiencies was really a common occurrence, just like it is for us right now. They are often exposed through the murmurings and grumblings of people, which can be a huge gift to leaders when done the right way, because they alert leadership that not all is well. Now, one of the nerves that we've hit during COVID season has been the mumblings and grubblings around connection and care. People everywhere, as I said, are feeling isolated and lonely and disconnected. That's a very real felt need. But like the burst pipe in our hallway, I don't think our loneliness and isolation and disconnectedness is the core issue. It's a symptom of something deeper. And I think that deeper thing is that we have not really figured out what it means to live life and to do life together in community with others. Now, without realizing it, many of us have, have become programmed in our relationships in life. You know, for example, we attend church on Sunday and are part of a community, or we participate in a midweek program or ministry, or maybe if we're really spiritual, we're part of a small group that meets once a week or once every other week. But we don't naturally, intentionally rub shoulders together on a regular basis. We have these touch points that bring us together, but outside of the the programmed events, most of us don't hang out together. We 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 don't do life together. We we don't pray together, we don't do ministry together. Now, obviously, there there are some people listening today that have that kind of community. You know, a, a real, you know, close group. But my guess is that most of us are not actually that connected. And now that our weekly rhythm of meeting together has been taken from us, it's exposed this growing need in our life or a deficiency in our systems, And so over the next three weeks, we're going to address this by looking at at three critical shifts that we all need to make. And and those those shifts are, uh, first of all, a a mission shift of, of what we need to do a system shift of how we need to do it, and a role shift of who's going to do these things. Now, today we're going to talk about systems. Now, I realize that that systems might not sound like a very spiritual term. It sounds more like like a business term than a biblical concept. But system thinking actually originates with God and is seen throughout the creation story and the rest of the Bible. For example, think about the universe that God created. What do we call it? We call it the solar system. Or think about our physical bodies. Uh, our bodies are one of the most complex systems or, or systems within systems that exist. And so in the medical profession, they, they, we have a circulatory system and a, and a nervous system and a respiratory system and a digestive system and a skeletal system and a muscular system, all these systems and more in our bodies. And the truth is, is that all of nature runs according to systems. And God created those systems. Systems are a God thing. You know, like the family unit is also a system God created. A mother and a father and children. And so was the church. Talks about he gave some to be apostles and teachers and and different things inside the body of Christ that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. Now, I like what Andy Stanley said about systems at a Catalyst conference several years ago. He said, he said this, if you don't learn how to address things at a systems level, nothing's going to change in your organization because systems create behavior. Preaching doesn't actually create the behavior and change. It's, it's systems that do that. Okay, so with that background, let's go back to our text that I introduced last week in Exodus chapter 18. And okay, here's the context. God, Moses had, had led God's people out of Egypt. That was about two million people. They had camped in the desert near Mount Sinai. Moses' father-in-law came to the camp to bring Moses' wife and sons to him. But, but while he was there, he gave um, Moses some very fatherly advice when he saw the system that Moses is using to govern the people. So I'm going to read the scripture again looking at uh, Exodus 18, verse 13. It says that so the next day, Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what's this you're doing to the people? Why do you sit alone? Why are are people standing around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, it's because the people come to me and inquire of God. When a conflict arises between them, they come to me and, they, and I judge between the two of them. And I also teach them the, God's regulations and instructions. Now, essentially, what Moses was saying here in his response is, I have to do this because there's an endless need. And of course, there's an endless need, because that is humanity. There's always endless human pain and brokenness and suffering in the world. And so the need is always going to exceed our ability. But the problem for Moses, as for us, wasn't that God had given him too much work. It's that Moses assumed that he had to do it alone. You see, his system was flawed. And if he didn't change his system of government, it was going to overwhelm him and wear him out and then frustrate the people. So uh, what's the new system that Jethro suggested? Well, verse 19 tells us, it says this, Now listen to me and let me give you some advice, and may God be with you. Your role should be to represent the people before God. You should bring their disputes before God yourself. You should explain the regulations and instructions to them and let them know the way they are supposed to go and the things they are supposed to do. But you should also look among all the people for capable persons who are who are respected by God, who respect God. They should be trustworthy and not corrupt. Set these people over... Persons over the people of, of officers of groups of thousands and, and hundreds and fifties and tens, let them sit as judge for the people at, at all times. They should never bring. They should bring every major dispute to you, but they should decide on the minor cases themselves. This will be much easier for you, and all the people will will be able to go back to their homes happier and satisfied, and you won't wear yourself out. Now. Um, What was Jethro's system? Well, he proposed a restructuring that would reduce the load on Moses. Moses was to redirect his energy to to the most essential things, to represent the people before God, to, to judge only the most complicated of cases, to teach the people and explain the regulations to them, and to guide the people in the way they should go and the things that they should do and everything else he was supposed to give away or delegate to other people. And so he needed to appoint leaders and train them and then delegate them and organize them in in tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands so that only the most difficult cases would come to him, the ones that were above their pay grade. Now, these other tasks weren't given to just anyone. They were given to men who were fit and ready for the job. As the scripture says, they they were men of ability. They were able men. They were men of godliness, people who feared the Lord. They were men of God's word, men of of truth. They were men of honor, they they hated covetousness. And so that's what what Jethro's plan was. That that was his system. Okay, so um, here's my question that comes out of that. Does God expect us to duplicate the system? Is this how God wants all groups to organize themselves? And the short answer is no. And it's no because our context is different. We're not camped together in a desert place. We are not singularly focused on the goal to pursue and get to the promised land. We are, we are a diverse group of people spread across many walks and stages of life. Furthermore, um, I'm not in a place of authority. <laughs> I can't tell any of you what to do. And you have no obligation to listen to me. So I can't order change like Moses could. The purpose of this st- structure was, was focused around governance as well, not around care, cares, around judgment, and, and not around support. And so, so that's why, why it was different. Now, having said that, there are some things that we can and should learn from Jethro's system and advice he gave to Moses. And so let me bring in one of our system experts, um, Pastor Jethro, and as some of you know him, Pastor Kelly. And, and just let him share some of, of the insights that he has into uh, this, the systems that, that Jethro uh, put in place. So, Pastor Kelly, why don't you share with
1: us? All right. Well, thanks, Layton. It's good to be uh, here with you this morning. And I'm looking forward to digging into this uh, together. A uh, little context for, for myself. Most of you know me here from Ebenezer. I've been here for about three years now. But I'll just give you a little more background for context. Uh, i've been here three years but prior to that i was involved in leading small group ministry and setting up strategies for discipleship and care for about well, probably about 20 years uh, i was also the senior pastor of a multi-staff multi-service church for about seven years that overlapped that time so i've come to really appreciate the challenges faced by leadership when it comes to connecting with larger groups of people now exodus 18 actually became an important passage for me in terms of understanding how we can set up ministries or ministry systems if we want to call it that which can actually be pretty effective in terms of ministering to larger numbers of people. So yeah, I'd love to, to take a look at some of the principles that we find in the conversation between Jethro and Moses that, that we can hopefully apply even to our own setting. First one I want to point out is the importance of getting smaller. Our best estimate of the number of Israelites that left Egypt, including men, women and children, was probably about two million. Now, just to, to get a, a grasp of how many people that is, that's not quite double. The population of Saskatchewan we're about 1.2 I think and it's about half the population of Alberta they're about 4.2 so think about it that's a lot of people like twice Saskatchewan walking heading somewhere together that's a ton of people and Jethro pointed out to Moses in their conversation that his strategy or his system for dealing with this group this large it had some deficiencies what you're doing is not good as Leighton already read you'll only wear yourselves out So Jethro understood that in their context, it was impossible for one person to serve as a judge for a group that large. Now, our context is a little bit different. But even in, you know, as an organization, a church of our size, a family of our size, and I think we're about 1,200, 1,400, maybe even 1,600 on our contact list, it's actually very, very difficult, impossible, for the ministry staff that we have here to interact with everyone and get to know them well and walk along with them in their journey. And so it's only through getting smaller that we can develop meaningful relationships where people can get to know one another and build trust with one another and begin to minister to one another within those those smaller settings. The other thing, next thing I see rather, is the importance of sharing the load. I mentioned a couple times here in my time at Ebenezer that our family business was heavy haul. Now, I'm going to open the lid on that one a little bit more today. People just kind of take that at face value, some, but but some kind of know what we did. Our family business, Weave Movers, did a lot of work for the Saskatchewan Wheat Pool and Pioneer Grain Company and the United Grain Growers. So those are grain companies. We, We worked with them. We straightened and repaired and even moved the large wooden grain elevators that used to be commonplace in every town in Western Canada. So there were days when we were literally pulling 500 tons down the highway. And I think we have a a picture here that you can take a look at. It's not Photoshop, that's for real. Um, And my dad, who's also a part of our Ebenezer family, he drove the truck, the main pulling truck that steered that whole thing. So if you're someone that maybe has trouble every once in a while backing your camper into that tight spot in the campground, I I know a guy. (laughs) Now, early on in my ministry years, I was thinking about what I learned moving elevators that could actually be applied to ministry. We know that Moses was a shepherd long before he led the people of Israel, and shepherding taught him how to lead and care for the flock. So what did I learn from moving elevators that could be applied to ministry? Well, the very obvious thing for me that I learned was that carrying heavy loads requires multiple supports. You can't lift an elevator with one jack. You're gonna have trouble. You're going to break a lot of things and hurt a lot of people. You need a lot of jacks in key places to get that thing lifted. Nor can you hold an elevator securely with one support. You need multiple blockings that are in key positions. Now, here's the point. When the people load is large, it takes a significant number of supports, a number of other people, to come alongside and help carry the load responsibly. And this was one of the concepts Jethro was teaching Moses. The work's too heavy, you can't do it alone. Organize the the people, bring others to help as judges, and that will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. So large loads, large people loads, large responsibilities with people need to be shared among several others in order for the work to be effective. Now the third thing I see is the importance of an intentional systematic approach we read it again earlier um, appoint them as officials over thousands hundreds fifties and tens now the approach that jethro shared with moses was very intentional and very purposeful what moses was dealing with prior to jethro's visit that was the result of not being intentional too much work long lineups unhappy people without an intentional approach there was the risk of inequity or maybe even the possibility that some people would fall through the cracks but in jethro's approach When there was an issue, the people knew immediately who they could go to, and they didn't have to wait in line from morning till night. The intentional approach of Jethro ensured that everyone knew who they were responsible to, and everyone knew who they were supported by. So in the Jethro system, there was a place for everyone, and everyone knew their place. I think to say it better is there was a place for everyone, and everyone knew where they fit. Now we also see the importance of equipping and supporting leaders. Teach them the decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. That's the NIV. Now, the leaders chosen by Moses were not simply tossed into their role and left alone to see if they would make it. They were equipped to perform the task that was given to them. They were taught firsthand by Moses the decrees of God and his instructions. Not only that, they were shown how these things needed to be applied. They were taught how to live and how to behave. That's the application piece. And so this teaching and modeling equipped the leaders that were chosen to fulfill their role effectively. The leaders were also supported, and we see that system of of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. This way, the way in which they were organized and structured, ensured that every leader had someone that they could turn to if they felt in over their head. Again, the thousands supported the hundreds, the hundreds, the fifties, the fifties, the tens. So even those that were in places of leadership, In the Jethro system, they were ensured that everyone had a place where they could go. Everyone knew where they could fit. Everyone knew where they could be supported.
0: Well, thanks Jethro. That was great. So let's bring this now into our Ebenezer context. What are the system shifts that we need to make? What are some of the ways that we've thought about this in the past that need to be adjusted in our thinking? what are some of the activities that we've done that we need to shift and change moving forward well there are several system shifts that we will consider uh, in this new way of thinking and here's one that comes to my mind we need to view leadership through new eyes and others through a new lens now this may not happen as much as it used to but in the past everything and everyone had to go through the senior leader it didn't matter how many people from the church, for example, went to visit someone in the hospital. If the senior leader didn't go, then the church didn't care. Let me just tell you a a funny story. I I remember one time when our kids were little, I was up in, in the room with them and one of my kids yelled out, Mom, and she was working in the kitchen downstairs. And I said to him, What do you want? And he says, I need mom. And I go, Well, tell me what you want and I can probably help you. And he says, I need mom, Mom. And he did this a couple times and finally mom came up and, he, and then he said, scratch my back. I thought, you little rotter, I could have scratched your back. You didn't need mom to do that, but I guess it was that, it was that mom's touch. You, you see, sometimes we think that we, we need certain people to do something before it actually is valid. And I think what we want to try and teach our church family and think differently about is that a touch from one is actually a touch from all. Kelly, what's the second one?
1: Well, I I think there's another shift that uh, we uh, want to embrace here, and that's the shift from program to doing life together. Um, When we think about small groups traditionally, we think that they're just a Bible study. But this is not just a Bible study that you attend. This is about community. This is about family. It's, It's about loving one another. Carrying each other's burdens, praying for one another, encouraging one another, teaching one another, even exhorting one another, and confessing to one another. It's all of those one another's happening in community, and and that's about doing life together as we move forward as, as that community towards Jesus. Here's a little example I hope will make sense. When I was a kid, my folks gave me a rock polishing kit for Christmas. Um, We've all seen those beautifully polished stones that are sold in the trinket shops. Sometimes they're made into jewelry. Well, that's what this kit did. Now the way that it worked was that a handful of rough stones was placed into a small round plastic container along with some grit, initially a coarse grit. The container was then put onto a device that turned it and rolled it and the rocks inside bumped against each other along with the grit that was changed out over time and became progressively finer and over many weeks of this tumbling process, the stones bounced off each other, and in the midst of the grit, uh, they eventually were smoothed. The rough edges were removed. The imperfections were, were, were sanded away, essentially, until finally the stones were left shining and beautiful. And that's what you had. You could use these to give as gifts or make all sorts of jewelry. When I was a kid, I was into that. Now, doing life together is like those, being those rocks in the tumbler. As we spend time together, we we bump against one another, we tumble against each other, and we experience the highs and lows of life together. And then as we introduce the teaching of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit of God, as those are brought into the mix, God uses these in each of us and the lives of one another as we continue to kind of rub against one another and sometimes rub the wrong way. But this comes and it refines us and it shapes us as we become more like Christ and it's an amazing thing as you celebrate the joys of life together and walk with one another even through the lows god works in the midst of that and he refines us and just like that rock tumbling process sometimes it's a bit messy but as you grow along with it the result at the end is a truly beautiful thing
0: okay here's here's the third thing that i thought of Um, we, we need to think of our connections more holistically and when we talk about uh, the importance of getting smaller, we're talking about more than just a system of care. Certainly, that, that was the nerve that, that we've hit. But, but historically, uh, as Kelly said, we've viewed smaller groups as communities of care or as Bible study groups. But they really need to be communities where we rub shoulders together on a regular basis and we do life together. And when I say life together, I mean all of it. I mean the up and the in and the out. So often, we, we, the, the out of the shared mission is, is the glue that holds the group together. It's the driving force behind the spiritual growth. It, it's the mission that drives discipleship. It's usually the mission that brings people together. And then care is actually the byproduct of us being disciples, growing in our character and quality and understanding of who God is and letting that transform us. And it's also the byproduct of mission. Doing things together. And so that's that's the third thing
1: Well, there's another shift. I, I think that we will engage here and that's the shift from optional to essential And again when I came to Ebby about three years ago Groups were seen as something to engage if you had time or if you wanted to get to know a few other people They were one option out of many offered on our ministry smorgasbord But as we think about Ebenezer and what we look like in the future and this vision of smaller gatherings now the picture that we're seeing here is that every person should be engaged in some form of smaller gathering, where, this is, where there's this deep commitment to one another and to doing life together. Three years ago we were a church with small groups. Now I think we want to become a church of small groups. It's no longer just one of the options on the ministry smorgasbord. It's the thing. It's the primary place where our ministry and even our mission can be carried out. And and Leighton, I think that leads us to the next thing that that we want to talk about.
0: Yeah, so so the the fifth thing is really we need to shift from uh, disconnected and isolated to connected and integrated. Uh, And we connect with others best when we share things in common, like a common mission. Like for example, just think of a sports team. What brings these different people, often from different backgrounds, even different countries in certain sports leagues, uh, together? Well, it's the common goal of winning a championship. You know, right now there's this talk about the Canadian hockey team, Olympic hockey team forming, and we're trying to bring these these, um, all-star players from all these different teams to be in one team to represent Canada. Now, all those guys are actually superstars in their team, and they're used to getting a lot of ice time. But when they come together on the Olympic team, they're going to have to take on different roles. And they're going to do it willingly and happily because they have a common goal of trying to win Canada the Olympic gold. You see, it's the vision and mission that drives systems, not the other way around. Systems don't determine who we are. We, the systems, systems serve us. And they should bring us together for, for a common goal. Okay, those are a few of the ways that we need to think differently about things. Now, uh, to close off, let's get really super practical. If we want to grow and develop in this area, what needs to shift and change in our lives, both personally and also organizationally? If we agree that we need a system shift that and that they are connected to, what are the, what are the, some of the key action steps, or at least first steps, that we need to take? Well, let me start this one. Uh, and simply, you need to start where you are. And st- by that I mean start with the relationships that that you have. You know the big picture is we want everyone to have someone. You know our end game is that everyone has someone to do life with. But this is not a switch that we can just turn on. It's a process and it's a process that happens probably over years not months. And It's a process that involves all of us. We'll be we as a staff will be intentional about training leaders and shifting our systems. But for now, you can begin by asking yourself the question, who in my relationship world can I do life with? You know, it might be with one other couple. Or maybe right now, in this moment, you can do life with one other family and really engage in, in all the holistic ways of doing things, the up and the in and the out. If you're retired maybe it's a, with a group of retired people or if you're a senior and shut in shut-in, maybe you can start a phoning uh, a phone time where you can call people and encourage each other you, because that's what you can do in your life right now you know don't don't wait for us to program this in for you uh, don't wait for us to train up leaders just do it now it's encouraging because i know of several of our singles especially in this last stretch of government restrictions who, who have felt that loneliness and instead of, uh, you know, just curling up and doing nothing about it, they actually went out and they reached out to people and found ways to connect in a socially distant way to support each other. That's the church. That's what it means to be the church. And so let me just encourage you to to reassess your relationships right now in this moment and, and ask, who can I do life with in this season?
1: Now there's a second way, um, and that can happen casually and organically, what Leighton has described, and that's huge, that's so important. We can also be very intentional about it, in terms of identifying potential leaders. Uh, Again, Jethro said, select capable men from all the people. And that's what we're in the process of doing right now. We're looking for capable people, people who love God, people who are trustworthy, people who are available for God to use them, people who are feeling that God is tapping them on the shoulder. Now, in that, I would actually include existing small group leaders, home hub leaders, youth sponsors, CNC leaders, both those who are in the group as college and career people, as well as, as sponsors, if we want to call them that, men's and women's uh, ministry group leaders. We're calling all of you who are currently serving in all of these sorts of roles. And again, we're also calling those who may get connected more intentionally within their friendship circles, as Leighton was just describing. We want to invite all of you to consider leadership of this smaller gathering. But even if all of these people respond, we still we know that we need more leaders to fulfill our vision. There's that 15, 14, 15, 1600 person database. We need a lot of leadership. And we know that God has gifted people within our Ebenezer family to step into this ministry. So please watch uh, for an upcoming spiritual gift discovery seminar that we're putting together. And this is a time where you can come and and generally learn about spiritual gifts but also discover your own giftedness and and even be given the opportunity to engage in a ministry that that fits the way that you're wired. Um, We also have a plan to train and equip current and future leaders. Pastor Chet along with Pastor Grace and myself have gotten together and we've talked about what we understand about discipleship. And in terms of training and and as we've experienced it. And we've built an equipping time for leaders of smaller gatherings. In total right now, there's eight sessions. And we're planning to offer these sometimes in that April through June window. And it'll probably be online so that everyone can access it. Possibly with with an in-person element as well, depending on how things open up. But here are the topics. What's transformational discipleship? Spiritual parenting. The Holy Spirit in discipleship leading discipling conversations creating this rhythm of up in and out that leighton was talking about a few minutes ago the life of a discipling leader calling disciples and releasing disciplers and then functioning in your spiritual gift as you, as you work within the context of these gatherings and leading in that so if you're a current leader you need to be there and if you're someone that, that you're sensing god is tapping you on the shoulder to consider leading something but you're not sure yet, this is a great time to just come and see what it might be about and, and just get that sense of whether this could be a good fit for you.
0: Okay, and the final thing that, that I thought of was, and it's, it's taken from the story of Moses and Jethro, is that we actually need to find ways to, to connect people or put people in these smaller con- uh, communities. You know, we need to find prioritize and find more engaging and systematic ways to place people in these, in these groupings. Now here's the reality, um, we haven't figured this out yet, right? It, it, that's an ongoing struggle with the church, and part of it is that is that we can't control people, and you you can make choices. But what I what I can tell you is this, that if we're going to be successful in this, it has to be a shared commit commitment. We're going to have to uh, all intentionally and relentlessly relentlessly uh, you know pursue training, and the staff is going to have to pursue tapping people on the shoulders, and recruiting people into leadership so they're capable and confident of leading smaller groups. But you're also gonna have to be intentional and relentless in pursuing smaller communities to be part of. Uh, There's gonna have to be a new attitude and perspective. I think Kelly mentioned earlier that that these smaller groupings or communities need to move from optional to, to to essential or highest priority, to the point where we almost feel like if you're not part of a smaller community, you're really not part of Ebenezer Church because that's who we are. And so that that's what we mean. It's it's we need to be part of something that we we're doing life together, rubbing shoulders, learning from each other, growing in a relationship with God, reaching out to others, doing ministry together, and through all that, we'll feel like we're we're connected and caring for one another. And so that's just some really practical things that kind of move us through the, the, the system shifts that we see in the scriptures from Jethro to Moses, but also the things that we think we can do moving forward here. And so again, we invite you to, to lean in, to, to be part of something as you hear of training opportunities to jump in, <clears throat> as you hear of places where you can discover your gifting and what you contribute to the body, to, to jump into those things and to be part of a smaller community. And, and if we do that, I'm convinced that, that that we will not feel like we're being left behind or left out and we'll feel like we're engaged in something bigger, bigger because God is going to use us for His glory to see people come to know Christ and be cared for in the body of Christ. Let me pray. So Father, thank you so much for our church family and you, we've talked about getting smaller before. We've talked about being leaders before. So this is nothing new in that sense but what is new is just this this commitment to change our systems so that that becomes a priority for us and so by your grace and by your power and through your insight and wisdom in our lives and would you help us to put those systems in place as a church family and and through your Holy Spirit would you would you draw people and help them long for the community and for the mission and for the growth that they can experience um, with others. And and we know that that that's how you've wired us to be with others. And this COVID pandemic has shown us how much we actually long for that and how much we need that. And so God, by your grace, would you help our church to grow in the season and not to shrink? May we grow in every way in our understanding of you, in our love for each other, in our depth and, and a heart for passion for those that don't know you. And so guide us today and encourage us as a church family, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being part of our our day today. We look forward to you joining us next week. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you,
1: and thanks for listening.